Well, we continue this Lord's Day morning in the law, and if you've been following along, you know which one comes next, and it's thou shalt not commit adultery, which is not going to be one of the more fun ones. Um, a lot of convicting stuff in, in studying this out that we see that it's much deeper than what is just clearly said as we saw last time. When the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, four simple words that have a whole lot of depth behind them. We find ourselves in the seventh commandment today. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Because of depravity and our sinful condition, of course we're going to see all sorts of the Ten Commandments being broken in the public square. But it's awful that we see this one particularly everywhere. It, it seems like everywhere. It's, it's hard to watch TV without seeing some uh, form of nudity, some form of uh, dysfunctional family where there's this uh, glorification of a husband and a wife that don't like each other and, and the husband goes for the secretary and the wife goes for the lawn care guy and it's just it's portrayed in the media just like it's the swellest thing. Uh, I'll never forget this when I was a kid. Uh, I believe it was a Hardee's commercial came out trying to sell a thick burger using ladies in bikinis. And I'm thinking, my, my, why, why do you have to use a half-naked woman to sell a cheeseburger? But that's where our society has gone to. Back a hundred years ago, it wasn't acceptable to show your knees. Now it's unacceptable to cover them in our society. And that's just the way that things have gone, unfortunately. But if that weren't bad enough, now it's even gone further than that. This is past when I was a kid. When I was a kid, at least we didn't have this. But now we've got these pride events where people march down the streets. They march down in all sorts of undress. And they do vile acts in front of children. And they, they try to get children to join in with them. And they encourage you, bring your kids to these events. They're child friendly. I don't know what's child friendly about all that. Well, that's what they're doing. It's like the days of Lot when the older men were taking the younger men and, and uh, violating their minds and violating their bodies. Well, those are all gross sins, but what does this have to do with thou shalt not commit adultery? Of course, fornication's forbidden in the Scriptures, but what about this? This just says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I want to approach this under three men headings. Thou shalt not, thou shalt, and gospel grace. Again, that's thou shalt not, thou shalt, and gospel grace. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Upon the surface level reading, it seems as though I could uh, encourage all the married couples in here, just stay faithful, just keep staying faithful, and we could close our Bibles and go to the house. But, is that all it's saying? Is that all that this is saying? Uh, maybe you're listening and you're an unmarried person. You say, well, I'm in no danger of breaking this. I'm not married. I, I can't commit adultery if I'm not married. Or maybe you are married and you say, well, I've been faithful physically since the day we said our vows. And may I submit to you that this, thou, this is just as thou shalt not kill. There's more implications to it. This goes beyond what's obvious at the very first glance of simply saying, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Even our Lord Jesus Christ took the laws to the heart of the matter. 
When Christ preached, He said, You've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that he who looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. Now, did He change the law? No, He expounded upon it and its implications. He shows us this goes further than a physical, out, or a physical act outside the body, but it's a manifestation of something that's already happened in the heart. A sinful action that started in this heart of ours that is wicked. By the end of our study, I don't imagine any one of us could say we are without sin. In this case. So what does it mean? What does it say? It says, Thou shall not commit adultery. Okay, so what? What, what, what does that mean? Well, in order to get to what this means, I, I think that it would do us best to go back to Genesis and kind of see what a marriage is, where it started out. It's, a, it's, a ordination, it's ordained by God. It's created by God. You see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image, and the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And in the last verse, the Bible says, And God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. The marriage that God has set up between one man and one woman, He said to go forth, be fruitful, multiply, and He blessed it, and He said, it is very good. Of course, He said that of all His creation, but of the marriage, it is a very good thing. Well, what is... What do we get from that? We were told in marriage to go forth, to multiply, to have families, to subdue the earth have dominion over it, to multiply, to replenish, to be together. In Genesis 1, God created all things and He blessed what He had made and said it was good. See, this marriage union is pleasing to God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Turn with me to Genesis 2, 18-25. I do want you to see this. Genesis 2, 18-25. This kind of help us in looking at thou shalt not commit adultery. In Genesis 2, 18-25, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make it help me for him. So now he's just zeroing in on this, uh, this last day, of this creation day where man was created. God says, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make it help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam was there not found a helpmeet for him. 
Isn't it great how the Lord had brought these animals to Adam and showed him, hey, there's two of these and two of those and two of those, and He created a desire in Adam's heart to have a helpmeet. And Adam's like, wait a second. There's two cows, there's two birds, there's two... Well, what? There's just one of me. He created a desire in his heart for a helpmeet, and then the Lord gave him that helpmeet. And the Lord caused... The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Listen what Adam's response to this is. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore... Shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In this we see the gift of sexual intimacy. The only place that God in the Scriptures or anywhere would give a blessing to sexual intimacy is inside of this marriage covenant. So when God says, thou shall not commit adultery, that's the only place that He's ordained that that intimacy, that that relationship, that that action may take place. So in saying, thou shall not commit adultery, all other forms of sexual enjoyment or sexual exploration, whatever someone might call it, or intimacy outside of the marriage between one man and one woman is forbidden. Turn with me back to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse number 14, the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So it goes further because what it says in that is that the, the only relationship like this that God allows and that God blesses and that is pleasing in the sight of God is that between a man and his wife. That means this is against... Uh, This command against adultery could easily, just as easily be understood as this, a command to sexual purity. A command to sexual purity. Therefore, outlaws forbids all these violations of this precious gift that God has given to people to enjoy inside the bounds of marriage. Uh, These violations include, but are surely not limited to this, because there's surely some way that a a depraved man or woman may twist this further, but here's a few that are forbidden. Premarital, extramarital, homosexual, incestual, bestiality, pedophilia, rape, self-gratification, prostitution, sex trafficking, pornography, and all such sexual deviations from the marriage covenant of one man and one woman. All this contained in one short verse, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Flee here is in the present tense. This sin of committing adultery is so so, uh, prevalent, so dangerous, so... Hard that we are to flee actively as Joseph with Potiphar's wife who left his coat, his outer coat, and said, I'm leaving, I'm getting out of here. How can I sin against my, my master and my God? How can I sin against these? 
To flee fornication is to avoid it at all costs, to war against it, to run from it. We don't have liberty or creative liberty to take and twist this precious gift from God and corrupt it into something that gives a few moments of pleasure. We must enjoy it, as all other things, in the God-ordained limitations. God put limits on this as He does other things. Moreover, a violation here is to sin against your own body. As a child, I used to go to the hunting cabin with my papa up in the mountains, and we didn't have no electricity. We didn't have no running water, and we didn't have nothing up there, so what we would do to stay warm, you couldn't turn on a furnace, you couldn't turn on something like that. What we would do is we had this wood stove in the corner of the hunting cabin. What we would do is we'd put wood in the stove and start a fire, We'd put a couple logs in before we went to bed and it would keep the whole house warm and cozy. We'd wake up in the morning, it was warm, throw a few more logs in. What's wrong with that? Not a thing wrong with that. Now what if I took those same logs, threw them in the bedroom, put them on the ground, set the fire in the floor? What would it do? This thing that blessed the home with warmth, this thing that blessed the home with comfort and and this calming uh, warmth has now become a curse. So it is with sex as it is taken outside of the marriage covenant. When it's in the marriage covenant, it brings warmth. It brings intimacy. It brings comfort to the home. It's a way that we can glorify God together in enjoying His gifts in this marriage covenant. It's a pure thing. God said it was very good. But you take that outside of the safety that God has put it in, and now you're sinning against your body. This thing that was once a blessing has now become a curse. This thing that was once for your good and your enjoyment is now to the destruction of your home and your body and your testimony. When God puts a limit on something, it's not that He thinks that He's keeping us from better things. It's giving us, He's giving us the better things and keeping us from those hurts, keeping us from those trials, keeping us from those heartbreaks. Because God is good and He does good and He knows what's good. And if He says to do it, it is good. And so just as I wouldn't set a fire in my kid's bedroom to keep them warm, I wouldn't go outside the marriage to keep my pleasures of the flesh warm. If I had any sense. Within marriage, it's blessed. Outside, it brings ruin, destruction. Yeah, sure, there's a few moments of pleasure. But there's no joy. There's no lasting happiness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You are commanded to guard your heart against temptation and violation. Very practically, I'll just give you a few practical helps in in thou shalt not. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, what are some practical helps? Don't watch filthy television shows. Don't watch perverted movies. Don't look at inappropriate videos. Don't fill your mind with this sexual music that's on the radio today where they're just talking about how many they can be with and all the nasty things that they can do. Don't hang out alone with the opposite sex. Surely don't lie to yourself and think you're strong enough. David, a man after God's own heart, looked, lusted, and laid with Bathsheba. Killed her husband. Tell me for a minute, you're brave enough and strong enough to be alone with another a uh, person other than your spouse. Don't lie to yourself. Be honest. 
It's better to be overprotective than to just say, well, everything's fine. Let me just live haphazardly. It's okay. Don't carry on those private conversations. Have some accountability. Don't be best friends with those who violate this law and, and, and glory in it and, and encourage you to do the same. Surely we know you get around the water tank at work and people are talking about who they've been with and all these things that they've done. Cut it off. Don't be around it. Your best friends ought to be godly friends who encourage you to godliness. Iron sharpens iron. Get you around some godly friends that encourage you to be a godly wife and encourage you to be a godly husband and encourage you to love the spouse of your youth, the one that you are with, and, and, and be around them and encourage them to do the same. Think about pornography, which we just get from the word fornication in the Greek there. Is it not so easily accessible? I reckon when my dad was a kid, you had to go to the store and uh, you had to talk to the person. You had to put the magazine on the counter. Well, now you just got to get a computer and a a Wi-Fi access or a phone. Don't take a computer to a private room. Turn the screen towards the family. Not saying you're doing anything, but it helps temptation. Don't take your phone to bed when you're tired. When your mind is not as the strongest it could be. Set up filters and accountability programs. Think of how many strong men have fallen, strong women have fallen. Let the man or woman that thinketh she has whereof to stand take heed lest she or he falls. Even if you aren't doing anything, take heed. Cannot be too careful with this wicked monster. And it is a monster. It's been the ruin of many. I beg you, don't take this warning lightly. Give no place for the devil. Wage war against the flesh. Mortify sin. Mortify the sin of your body. Put it to death. Wage war against it by the power of God working in you with everything that you have. And when you've given everything, give some more. Pray a little longer. Read a little more. Oh, that we would hate this sin like God does. And God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That little Pharisee inside of us likes to be self-righteous, right? A little bit of Pharisee in us likes to justify our actions. We like to act like it's not us, it's the neighbor down the road. Oh, did you see the neighbor down the road? They, they did so and so. They did this and that and other. And we justify our supposed little deeds. We cannot justify our sinful actions. We cannot flirt to see how close to the line that we can get without going over. I, I tell you, if that's your heart set, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You're flirting with danger. You're playing with fire. I submit to you that most of the time you don't see faithful men and women fall suddenly into sin, but they slip very slowly. A little relaxation here, a little bit there, and then all of a sudden, a little unchaste thought here. A little dirty joke there. A little bit of flirting here. Oh, it's just a little flirting, nothing bad. A little immodest dress there. Before you know it, you're committing gross sexual acts that you never thought you would commit. You ask some of these people that get in these situations that fall into grievous sins. I'm talking about Christians that, that, that 
fall into grievous sins. You ask them, how did you get here? And they'll say, I don't know. I don't know. I never thought I'd be here. Little by little, the little foxes spoil the vine. Please hear me. Don't fill your mind with garbage. The garbage of this world. Don't flirt with the line. Don't justify your sins. Don't get lazy. We're in a war against this sin. And you put garbage in, you get garbage out. Be filled with the Spirit. Read the Bible. Preach the Gospel to yourself daily. We're so apt to forget it. And it is the power of the Gospel that frees us from this. If you're in Christ, you're not a slave to sin. You've been set free. You don't have to be a slave to it. Preach the Gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that you're an overcomer through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remind yourself daily. Have set times for private and family worship in your home every single day. Worship God. Pray together. Read the Bible together. Sing those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. You know that old saying, the idle mind is the devil's workshop? Stay busy in the work of the Lord. Don't get idle. And if you need help, find a brother or sister you trust. Go to them for help. Nothing wrong with that. There's good in that. There's good in going to someone to help you out, hold you accountable. If you find yourselves trying to justify your actions, as has already been said, you're probably already in violation in the heart. Oh, she's just a friend, they'll tell you. Oh, it's just a... You know, it's just, we're, we're going to get married anyways. Well, I know He really loves me. I, I really do. I, I know He loves me, so it's okay. No, it's not. Well, she's just in lingerie. She's not really naked. How many times do we hear people justify things like that? Let it not be so named in our mouths or so said. This law demands sexual purity and the only way to do that is within this beautiful, blessed, God-ordained means of marriage between one man and one woman. And any other sexual expression or act violates this. Before we close with this first and more lengthy point, I want to consider a final thought. Have you ever heard someone say, alright kids, stay pure till you're married. You ever heard that? I heard that growing up. That's the awfulest advice I've ever heard in my life. Stay pure till you're married. As if the act itself was impure. No, friends, stay pure your whole entire life. Stay pure your entire life. See, if you say stay pure till marriage, you're implying that uh, sex is not pure, but it's a necessary evil to procreate. You got to do it to have kids. You got to do it to procreate. No, stay pure your whole life, which means seek that marriage relationship and do that only inside of that. And that's being pure before God. Give yourself to this one in love and joy and to this one only. Sexual intimacy in marriage is very good. It is a gift to be enjoyed. It's a beautiful thing. This other laws, though, is... The negative is stated. The negative is thou shalt not. There's also a positive command to this. Thou shalt. 
Well, what's the positive command of this? Thou shalt. Well, we've tiptoed around a little bit. Thou shalt love your wife and give yourself to her. Thou shalt love your husband and give yourself to him. Thou shalt be a faithful husband or a faithful wife. The negative prohibits impure sexual relations. The positive commends them. The, the sexual intimacy that is pure within the marriage covenant of one man and one woman. And I know that this is not a fun topic to talk about, and I'll try to be as, as uh, discreet as possible, but it's in the Bible and it's to be preached and taught. And I think it is a thing that we skip over sometimes because it's uncomfortable, but there is a, a real aspect where... Uh, Husbands and wives are letting down their duties and they're not fulfilling their parts of marriage in in ways that are vital and necessary to a healthy marriage. We shall soon see there's a marital obligation. Hebrews 13 verse number 4 says this. Hebrews 13 verse number 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. That word whoremongers means fornicators. Marriage is honorable among all, the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is honorable in all, the bed undefiled. Marriage is honorable. And this this word honorable is used in other places, translated as dear, as precious, and wants is had in reputation. Marriage is held in high regard. It's precious. It's dear. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. It's to be highly esteemed and valued. The proverb says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Uh, marriage is used as a picture of Christ and His church. As a loving husband to a, a, a bride that was unfaithful and, and, and needed help and, and forgiveness. And he came and sought her and bought her and then clothed her in righteousness and made her clean. And the bed undefiled. The marriage bed is pure. Sexual intimacy in marriage is a gift from God for our good and enjoyment. What implication does this have for us? Well, if we fight against adultery with the same fervency and the same zeal, we ought to fight for intimacy in our marriages. Have you ever been cold? Have you ever been uh, felt like roommates at times? If we're not to commit adultery, we're to fight for that intimacy and that love and that connection, that closeness in our homes and in our marriages. I don't care what TV says about it being normal for a husband and a wife to hate each other and loathe their presence. I don't care what Hollywood says about it married for 30 days and divorced and married to the next one and divorced. I don't care what they say. Marriage is a blessed gift from God. is highly valued, highly esteemed. And the intimacy there is like that you will not share with a single other person in the whole entire world. My wife is my closest, dearest friend. And I don't have another friend like my wife. Again, very practically, thou shalt give yourself to your spouse. 
Thou shalt love the wife of your youth and be satisfied with her. Thou shalt pursue her, love her, date her, be affectionate to her. And wives ought to do the same for their husbands. A lack of pursuing one another causes these unnecessary temptations to find that affection somewhere else. How many times do we see marriages fall apart because the spouse sought affection from the co-worker? Well, he doesn't talk to me like he used to. He doesn't talk to me anymore. He doesn't pursue me. And they go to the next thing that will pursue them. Friends, we must be careful and pursue our spouses and love them. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. I'm not going to preach this again. I know Pastor Ken has preached it, but we're going to camp out here for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verses 1 through 5. There was a false idea in the Corinthian church that uh, uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, and they just took that for all things. That it's just not good for a man to touch a woman. And so he's answering their objection. Now he says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. But listen to this. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. There is a duty in the relationship to render due benevolence, and we know what that means, to the other. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife... There's a mutual gratification. This is not done for self, but for the other. It's a way of teaching us to give to others and to love others. And then he says, defraud ye not one another, one the other, which means don't abstain, don't, don't be abstinent in your marriage, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or for your, your uh, lack of self-control. It's hard stuff to think about. How are we to love and cherish each other in the marriage covenant, but to have that and pursue that? If it, the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, you better be doing the opposite, right? And pursuing your spouse and, and reminding them that you love them. It's a good thing in the sight of God to love your own spouse. And because we are so weak and lack self-control, it's not good to abstain for long periods of time lest Satan tempt. In other words, it's wrong of you to make excuses every time. Make time to love and enjoy each other in your marriage. Exodus 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The marriage is a wonderful thing. Anyone that's been married any amount of time knows it's a wonderful thing. There's ups and downs. It's hard. It's the most sanctifying thing I think that a person can go through. You're two sinners learning to live together and, and grow together and have the same roof. And when you get mad, it's not like you're dating and you can just go back home. No, now you have to you live with this person. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, it, but it's sanctifying and it's a beautiful thing. And it's grown me like no other friendship I've ever had. 
and grace. My wife learning to be patient with me. Uh, moving out to Paris, Tennessee. Who'd ever heard of that place before? But you learn and you grow together. We magnify these other offices of the marriage, but what about the intimacy? That should be there. It's a relationship like no other. It, it is the relationship God uses to describe the saved in Christ. And to defile marriage is do great damage to your gospel witness. So we've got to be careful. Christ loved His bride and gave Himself for her. He sought and bought her. Husbands, are you doing the same for your wives? Are you loving them with this kind of God-centered love and devotion? And then the church is to serve and obey Christ. Wives, are you honoring and submitting to and, and supporting your husband with this God-centered love and devotion? When the marriage is God-centered, you're protecting and enjoying this marriage bed. Men, love your wives. Date them. Don't take your marriage for granted. Ladies are often uh, more fragile than men, so we must not be so rough. Remind her often that she's beautiful. Solomon, the Song of Solomon, four, verse, verse, chapter 4, 1 through 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there and read a little bit to you. The Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Listen to this. This is the Word of God. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof every one bare twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon they hang a thousand bucklers and shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies. Until the day break and the shadows flee away, I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Now, of course, we see this and it's allegorized. And it does show a picture of Christ's love for His church. But really, truly, we can't get away from the real meaning. that it, the, 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 What the words say, there's a real sense in where we're seeing a man overjoyed with his wife. And that's a good thing. Now, I'm not recommending that you go home and tell your wife her teeth look like a bunch of sheep. But there's ways to tell them, you know, and, and make them feel loved and know that you're affectionate toward them. To be enjoying them forever. The Song of Solomon celebrates sexual intimacy in the marriage is a good thing. Straightforward without being crude. It's not like your modern day magazine. It, it's not filthy. There's nothing nasty in it. It's the Word of God. It's, it's God's Word. But it's very straightforward and it teaches us that one cannot see sexual pleasure in marriage as impure or unholy. In fact, it's the opposite as Hebrews 13.4 says. It's not the marriage bed that's judged, but adulterers and fornicators that God will judge. Dr. Harry Reader says this, The Song of Solomon extends and promotes intimacy within marriage by affirming recreational and ministerial sexual intimacy and not only procreational sexuality. Are you enjoying one another? Don't answer that, but are you enjoying one another? Our culture claims that they are. Do they not claim that they're promoting uh, free 
body positivity, free sexual positivity. Don't they say that they're the ones that have the corner on the market? All they know it all. What they have is a worthless copyright, counterfeit. They defile what God has made holy for worthless entertainment. In this sin-cursed world, child of God, we must fight against these bad perspectives in the world. We must fight to promote these healthy marriage relationships. We must fight to push them forward for the glory of God. We must fight to love one another. We must fight to uh, affirm what God has said is right and, and deny what the world has said is right. You must run to Christ for all your help. Thou shalt honor your marriage covenant. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I suppose, as hard as this topic is, if you're anything like me, you were convicted at some point throughout. There are ways in which we could all love our spouses better. There are ways in which we could all flee fornication no matter what shape or it takes. But I'm reminded of this gospel grace. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, the Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Marriage is honorable in all, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. But such were some of you if you fled to Christ. We have freedom. We are no longer those things. He said, You once were. And now we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are to be filled with the Spirit, showing forth the fruits of the Spirit, living daily our lives in honor to God. There is no hope in this world, in this lifestyle that the world promotes. There is no hope in adultery or fornication or drunkenness or anything for that matter. There is hope only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's lots of hope there. There's enough hope that all that come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. Such were some of you. Praise God for His grace. As a way of quickly summarizing, in the Bible we see that food is not sinful, is it? What is sinful? Gluttony. God put a fence around food and said, don't partake too much. Don't be a glutton. Well, what about alcohol? Okay, alcohol is not a sin in and of itself, but drunkenness. Well, sex again is not a sin, but taking it outside of what God has put it in, which is marriage, sin. 
So we must be careful to do those things as God has said to do them. To enjoy things in the way that God has given them to us. To the praise of the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we may know Him and love Him and serve Him and glorify Him in all that we do. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt love your wives and your husbands. And remember gospel grace every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are vile sinners in need of much grace. And Lord, we thank You that You have sent Your Son to live for us and die for us and rise again. He is our righteousness. He is our hope in life and death. Lord, we are thankful that He came for adulterers, for drunkards, for revelers, for extortioners, for the effeminate, for those who had done according to this world instead of what You have said in Your Word. You came to save sinners. And Lord, we are thankful. Now, Lord, as redeemed people, let us remember that the law does not stand to judge us, but it is a guide for our life that we should live according to it to glorify You and to honor You and to serve You. And we should strive to obey it, Lord, through the power of Your Holy Spirit working in us. Though it does not save us, we realize that we are saved unto good works. So, Lord, help us to live in obedience to these commands. Remind us that we're no longer slaves to sin. No matter how strong the temptation, You've provided ways out. So Lord, help us. Remind us of the Gospel. Remind us of Your grace. Help us to honor You in this life, in our marriages, in our homes, and in our daily walk, in the workplace, wherever we are, in Christ's name. Amen.